It's a pleasant, balmy California evening. The stars are high in the sky, and there's a steady lapping of water on the sides of the steel hull of the jewel of Long Beach Harbor. It's late, well into the night, and all the ship is quiet. Guests are tucked into their beds, and the bars and restaurants have long been closed. But as quiet as the ship is, it still feels alive, as though it's time for the unseen guests of the ship to take over. As you venture down the passageways, you can hear a tiny giggle behind you. The lights flicker, and the temperature drops. However, as frightened as you may be, you shake this feeling off. You know the ship's reputation just has you spooked. And besides, you have a job to do. You're on the clock. As you continue on, you pass the first class lounge, the Queen's Salon. You stop in your tracks. The doors are ajar and the lights are on and a sweet melody is filling the space. The lounge should be closed, locked, shut to visitors for the night. This isn't right. As you push the doors open, you notice the lounge is empty. As you step further in, you notice a woman in an ornate lily white gown. She's dancing all alone by the fireplace, the moon caressing her silver skin. She's so elegant, distinguished, and graceful. Her feet don't even appear to be a touching the ground. She's floating through an agile private waltz. You begin to approach her, remind her the lounge is closed for the evening, offer to escort her back to her cabin. When all of a sudden, she looks directly at you. Her eyes are vacant, her skin translucent. Up close, she is not the bewitching beauty she was from afar. Her dress is wet, covered in seaweed, not lace, and her hair is filled with coral and barnacles. And just when you begin to speak, she pulls her face into a contorted, twisted grin that reveals nothing but gums and darkness. There will be no escorting this passenger back to their bedroom, for this is her final resting place. You turn around, turn off the lights, and lock the doors. You have other responsibilities that need your attention. Payroll, insurance papers, and supply orders. After all, this is just another night as an employee of the Queen Mary.
welcome to episode 17 of The West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. My family are seafaring folk. I'm originally from Southampton, England, you know, where the Titanic sailed from. And for generations, our family have been stevedores, sailors, naval men, and marine engineers. Still, to this day, my family sail, albeit in the much warmer climate of Ventura, California. And I even lived on a boat here in London for a time. So I've always found something magical about ships. They defy all odds and reasons. They can transverse the globe under the most brutal conditions, and due to their incredible engineering, are remarkably safe. But every vessel has a story. Today, we are traveling to the jewel of Long Beach, California, the Queen Mary. We are going to hear stories about the ship from a very unique perspective. Madison Rhodes was the lead scenic painter for the Queen Mary's Halloween events, Dark Harbor, and Ghosts and Legends tours. She had the unbelievable experience of working on the ship overnight for months on end in its most spiritually active locations. So all aboard, friends, because we're about to take a journey on one of the most haunted ships in the world. I'm Rebecca Strazina. And this is the West London Witch, Episode 17, The Ghosts of the Queen Mary. The RMS Queen Mary is a British ocean liner that sailed the North Atlantic seas from 1936 to 1967. She was christened on September 26, 1934 by Queen Mary herself and set out on her maiden voyage on May 27, 1936. She is a stunning ship, twice the size of the Titanic and even more opulent. Her Art Deco design was fresh and modern at the time and is now timeless. She was a new level of luxury never before seen by the sea. She has two swimming pools, two bars, a massive ballroom, restaurants, and lounges, all decorated to an unprecedented level of taste and style. She made her final departure from Southampton on Halloween in 1967 and now resides permanently in Long Beach Harbor. She is now a hotel, museum, and tourist attraction. Um, So I started working at the Queen Mary in 2013. Um, I worked there seasonally for three years. I was the lead scenic painter in both the Dark Harbor Halloween Haunt and their year-round Ghosts and Legends tour. Uh, Most of my scary stories come from when I worked on the tour because we had to work outside of tour hours, which means my shift was from 6 p.m. to 3 a.m. for about two months um, in the most haunted parts of the ship. Uh, (laughs) So one thing I want to say first is one of the reasons why I got this job is because I don't scare super easily. Uh, My employers, uh, during my interview, they shared a bunch of their own ghost stories just to see how I would react. And even one of their questions was like, if something weird happened to you, would you keep working? And my answer was yes. And a lot of weird stuff did happen. So (laughs) a lot of these stories, um, they end with, and then I kept working because that's just what you had to do. 
Now, I've had some strange interview questions in my life, but no one has ever asked me if I would be okay to work under haunted working conditions. What a weird start to your career. So the Queen Mary has a lot of ghosts. I think there's 49 recorded deaths, which also doesn't include the bodies that were just transported um, with the ship during World War II. Although the Queen Mary was built and designed as a cruise liner, when World War II hit, she took on a new role as a troop ship. She originally carried troops from Australia and New Zealand to the UK, but she was soon transporting soldiers, prisoners of war, and even Winston Churchill at one point, all over the world. As it was wartime, she needed to be repainted so she looked more inconspicuous in the sea. And she was a big boat. And as us sailing Strazina say, the bigger the boat, the faster it goes. She was so quick. And because she was repainted gray, she ended up being called the Gray Ghost, slicing through the sea at breakneck speeds. That brings us to one of her first major incidents. On October 2nd, 1942, during the middle of World War II, the HMS Curacao was escorting the Queen Mary from New York to Glasgow. In an effort to get the Queen Mary safely to port, the Curacao was engaging in deceptive measures in order to confuse enemy ships and submarines. The Curacao was weaving in front of the Queen Mary. But, like we said earlier, the bigger the boat, the faster it goes. The Queen Mary accidentally caught up to the Curacao and sliced it in half. One half of the Curacao ended up on the port side of the Queen Mary and the other on the starboard. The Curacao didn't stand a chance. The Queen Mary was 20 times bigger. Most of the crew members were killed instantly, but others drowned or were pulled into the depths of the sea by the current created by the mammoth Queen Mary. And they were the lucky ones. For some of the crew were actually pulled into the propellers of the Queen Mary. Because it was wartime, the Queen Mary couldn't just stop and look for survivors. They were in treacherous seas, and they were carrying precious cargo, soldiers, and prisoners of war. Survivors had to wait in the freezing water for two hours for rescuers to come to the ship and save them. All in all, 239 people lost their lives in this tragic event. Only 99 survived. Still, to this day, it's said that you can hear their screams in the boiler room of the Queen Mary, crying out for help. So, almost every night we worked there, something weird happened. So these are just the ones that I remember the best, but I did call the people I worked with and just got their... Um, account of what happened just to make sure I wasn't crazy and I was remembering it correctly. And um, it's weird because they had experiences that I didn't experience and just something weird happened every night was the overall consensus when I asked them to recount their stories. They were just like, okay, let's see, can I pick out one in particular? So um, Justin, and Amanda, Justin and Amanda were the two members of my team that I helped manage. Uh, sometimes we would work on the tour and the tour show would still be on, which included like the sound effects and the lighting and like the soundtrack would still be going. And it was super annoying because that meant that we'd have to listen to the same five minutes of audio on loop for nine hours. So I eventually found a way to turn that off. But for this story, that stuff was still going on. So there was one night where we were working and we were on 
one end of a very long hallway. And in that hallway, there are these motion sensors that when you watch down it, one would trigger and it would say, will you be my friend? And then a second one down the hallway would trigger and it would be like this little girl giggle. So it was very annoying because we had to go up and down this hallway all night, um, either to go to the bathroom, come back from lunch, whatever. So we were working at the end of the hallway, painting away, and one of the motion sensors goes off and we hear, will you be my friend? So all three of us, we were together on this end of the hallway, turn and look, and no one is in the hallway. And then just as we like kind of stand there in silence watching, the second motion sensor goes off as if someone was walking down the hallway, triggering both of those on their way that we couldn't see. So that's just what I mean by weird stuff would happen all the time. One of the most famous ghosts on the Queen Mary is Jackie. She's a little girl who drowned in the pool room when she was just like, I would say six or seven years old is what they tell me. So one of my main things with the Queen Mary is I wanted to be respectful to the ghosts. And um, Jackie, I heard, was a little bit of a trickster. So there was a night where we had to work in the pool room, which is where she's mostly seen. The pool room is this beautiful, huge room with an empty pool in the middle that's been drained, a giant grand staircase, and then two balconies that go around the whole side. We were working on one of those balconies that night. So I came to work and I had a bag of candies, Hershey's Kisses, which I usually bring something fun for the crew just because we work so late. It's like a way to give them a little energy boost. So I take one of these Hershey Kisses and I go down to the first floor, just um, at the bottom of the stairs where the towel rack area is. No towels, of course. And I place the Hershey Kiss there and I just say, Jackie, I've brought you this candy. Please enjoy it. We'll be working here tonight. And I leave. We work on that balcony the entire night. And we even have lunch there. Finally, at the end of the night when we're done, I go down just to see if something happened to the Hershey's Kiss. And it's in the same spot that I left it. But the foil around the candy was peeled back as if someone was trying to get into it. Although Jackie is the most famous ghost in the pool room, she's not alone in there. There is said to be a lady in a tennis outfit walking down the stairs, also a lady in a wedding dress sitting next to the pool, and the ghost of a little boy who fell overboard right outside of where the pool is and is now said to be haunting the pool. There's also reports of wet footprints being seen and people hearing merriment in the pool as though people are swimming and having fun. But of course, there's nobody there. Next to the pool room, there's this area called the changing room. Um, and it's a long hallway with like a bunch of little, little rooms that used to have curtains. So it's a very spooky place. That's all I can say. It's a hallway with a bunch of little rooms going all the way down it. And people have been known to see shadows cross from one room to the next, which is crazy because there's nowhere to go, obviously. This place has been named the Vortex because of how much ghostly things happen there. 
I don't know, some mediums have said that there's just a lot of paranormal energy in that place. Uh, we would go every once in a while and just sit in there and see if anything happened. Um, and I have to say, just being in that space made you really uncomfortable. Like the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up. Your heart would beat a little bit faster. It was just a really weird place. So one day, Justin and I were painting. And the Queen Mary is a maze, especially when you get to the area that's just like the behind the scenes area, just pipes and rust. And you kind of lose track of where you actually are inside the ship. So we're painting away. And the lighting is really bad. So Justin pulls out one of his flashlights to kind of help see this one area that we're trying to paint. And he pulls out his flashlight and tries turning it on and it doesn't turn on. So no big deal, probably out of the batteries. I go to grab my flashlight, which I keep hanging on my tool belt. And I look down and it's on for some reason. So instinctively, I just turn it off. And at that moment, Justin's flashlight turns back on. So we give each other a weird look. He then turns his flashlight off, and then mine on my belt turns on. We're kind of spooked at that moment. So we kind of look around, and that's when I realized the wall that we're painting is the wall separating us from the changing room, the vortex area. We're right there, like feet away. So I just say to the room, is there anyone here? And both of our walkie-talkies turn on full volume. So I take that as a sign. And I go running into the vortex room. And I get there and I'm like, I'm here, I'm here, I got your sign. <laughs> Can I do anything to help you? And I sit in there and I wait. And I can only give it a couple minutes. It's like I said, we have to get back to work. And I didn't get any further contact than that, but it was a very weird coincidence, if that's the case, um, that both Justin and I did share, which was pretty cool. Like I said, something weird happened every single day. So during Dark Harbor, where we had more of a bigger crew and it wasn't just our paint team, um, during lunch when we'd see everyone, someone would have some kind of story to share. Some people, you know, got hurt, like something would scratch them, um, some like underneath their clothes. Uh, there's one story where some people were set dressing a room and filling it with these old suitcases and they had to zip tie and screw these suitcases down because it's for a Halloween haunt. You know, people get very rough with the stuff. And as soon as they finish um, putting together this big stack of suitcases, they walk away thinking their job is done and they hear a big boom. So they run back and all the suitcases are on the floor scattered. Their zip ties are broken as if something tore it all apart. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes working there a little hard and you have to do things twice. So who could these ghosts be? Who could be performing all this activity? Well, like Madison said, there's an awful lot of recorded deaths and ghosts on this ship. As for a death that took place in one of the staterooms, in 1936, the first captain, Sir Edgar Britton, died of a stroke in his cabin. Another strange death connected to the ship happened in 1949, when William Stark, the senior second officer of the ship, went in search for a bottle of gin. 
The story goes that he went into the captain's cabin looking for the gin. However, the lights were out, or it was dark, or perhaps they'd already been drinking, and he couldn't find the bottle. But he did find a bottle, and they ended up making drinks out of it. It later came to light that it wasn't gin at all, but rather a detergent or a poison or some sort of polish, and he ended up drinking a fair amount of it. They wanted to take him to the doctor, but he insisted he was fine. The next day, he fell mortally ill and ended up being transported to the hospital in Southampton. He actually died in the hospital, but it's totally fair to believe that he might still be on the ship, a place of his work and a place where he found joy. One night, Justin and I were painting a staircase just in front of the purser room, the old purser room. And we were just listening to music, minding our own business. And from the corner of my eye, I saw a woman in a white dress sitting on the stair rail. And as soon as I turned my head to give her my full attention, she's gone, obviously. So I just turned to Justin and I just say, did you see that? And he goes to turn his head and he tells me that he sees a woman in white sitting at the top of the stairs on the stair rail. Just as he turns his head, she disappears. So I explain what I saw. He explains what he saw. And I'm like, and she was sitting right here. And he's like, yes, exactly. But these were just like, it was a flash, but also strange that we saw the same thing. Speaking of apparitions, we can't even begin to discuss the Queen Mary without talking about room B340. When the Queen Mary was converted into a hotel, the original 347 suites and staterooms were converted into the guest rooms. However, room B340 has had a dark past. In 1948, third-class passenger Walter J. Adamson mysteriously died in the room. In 1966, a woman woke up in the middle of the night to the sheets being slowly pulled off of her body. And as she looked up, there was a man standing at the foot of her bed. This room has had numerous reports of lights being turned on and off, knocking on the door, bed sheets being pulled off of the body, and taps running. For over 30 years, the room was actually closed to visitors because guests complained about the activity nightly. Maids refused to clean the room by themselves and often complain of making beds only to turn around and find them unmade, to come into the room and find the taps running even though nobody's been staying there, and lights turning on and off by themselves. However, it's now open and you can stay in it at this time for the low price of $500 a night. I All my experiences didn't happen in any common area. Like, I definitely explored the common areas, but they they weren't as real to me as where I got to work. Like I got to work in like the belly of the ship and I got to see kind of how the Queen Mary really looked and felt. And the belly of the ship is absolutely one of the most terrifying locations in all of the Queen Mary. There's a story that in World War II, a group of soldiers aboard the ship were dissatisfied by the food and in a Hansel and Gretel form of justice, shoved the cook into the oven and burned him alive. It's said he now haunts the old galley, and his screams can be heard penetrating from the stove. 
The boiler room of the Queen Mary has had its fair share of tragedy, and its marks are still visible to this day. In 1966, at 3.55 a.m., crew member John Pedler was crushed to death when the watertight doors accidentally closed on him. People can see him running through the boiler room or hear his screams. The doors have now been removed, but if you're into numerology, you'll be interested to know that the door that crushed him to death was door number 13. Madison, when you were working in the boiler room, were you ever afraid? Um, yes, I do have one story where um, things got a little intense. So uh, the boiler room is my favorite part of the ship. Uh, Queen Mary, they had to rip out all the boilers in their ship when it got sold to Long Beach. And that was to make it turn into a ship to a building, apparently, is how the permits worked. So that way it didn't have to, they didn't have to be forced to stay in sort of any maritime law. So the boiler room is now this giant, vast, empty room. And I'm talking like 60 feet tall, 40 feet wide, and like the length of half the ship. And it's rust everywhere. The bottom of the boiler room, because it's so rusted, there's kind of like a bridge path area that you can walk on. And to get to the boiler room, there's a long bridge that you go down to a elevator, a glass elevator. And that takes you down to the bottom of the boiler room. Both the bridge and the elevator are still inside the boiler room just because it's so vast and huge. So one day I get to work early and we're starting a big job in the boiler room. So I have to go down there and get a killer match. So I take the glass elevator down and pull out my swatch book, trying to match the color that's on the wall. And I'm only there for about a minute. And I hear from behind me and above me, a deep voice say, get out. So I spin around and I'm completely alone. Like there's no reason for anyone even to be down there. So I am a little shook, but I say to the, to the air, basically, you know, I heard you, I'm leaving like you asked, but I have to work here tonight. So I'm going to be back and I get an elevator and I leave. Then as soon as I get out of the ship, I find one of my boss because I'm like, I gotta tell someone what just happened to me. And I tell him my story and he decides now is the time to tell me about the boiler room ghost. A man died in the boiler room named John Henry and he was a worker of the boiler room. One of the pipes burst and this steam came out and basically boiled him alive. So he died a very violent death. It's been known that he doesn't like it when women go to the boiler room. Maybe he's old fashioned, I don't know, but he's a very grumpy, mean ghost. People have found scratches on them when they've left. They've been threatened like I have. Um, Yeah, so that was my experience with good old John. Um, But the good news is he didn't bother me after that. Like after we had a nice little conversation, um, that was my only experience with him. Did you ever have like any of your team be like, I can't do this. Like I'm done. This is too scary. I'm no more. Um, my team was pretty brave, but they definitely had their limits. Like they wouldn't go anywhere alone. That was a no go. 
we went as a team and we worked as a team and we went to the bathroom as a group. Um, so in instances where the tour was still in show mode and we all wanted off because it was, the tech room was so far away from where we were working. I didn't want to waste the time to have all of us go as a group to turn off the show. So I would often do that alone. And I have to say that was so scary because you're walking through the tour with all of its spooky sound effects and lighting to get to this tech room, to turn it all off, then to make the long trek back in complete darkness. It was terrifying. A a lot of stuff would happen and we would just have to keep working. Like we would hear a giggle from behind us and be like, that was weird. Keep working. Or, (laughs) you know, Justin said one time you saw like a little shadow of a, a boy, like peek around a corner at him and then disappear. And I was like, okay, well, Keep working. (laughs) You're like the dream employee. (laughs) I I was very excited. It was a dream job, I have to say. I love horror movies. I love spooky stuff. So to get to work on that ship was amazing. Madison, do you have a theory as to why, after all these years, the Queen Mary is still such a hotbed of activity? I would say probably because there's so much going on at the Queen Mary. Like there's people spending the night all the time because it's a running hotel. There's people who are working there 24 seven, like us, maybe even because of the haunted house that they have yearly where hundreds and thousands of people come traping through these, you know, very sensitive areas. And also just the amount of death that it's seen. There is absolutely no doubt that the Queen Mary has had a long and fascinating past. And due to her status as a nationally registered historic place, she will continue to stay safe, preserved, and open to new chapters in her captain's log. Hopefully for forever. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Miss Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.